we are going to do some colouring in today. And I thought, like, rather than me talking and then doing some colouring in, we'd do some colouring in while I talk, because then you don't even pretend, have to pretend to listen. You can just concentrate on that. So um, I'm going to be doing a little brief synopsis to the series that we're kind of halfway in the middle of. Um, and then at the end, we're going to do some listening together. Um, so we've appropriately chosen some coloring in around the theme of listen. And some of you are avid colorinners, and some of you haven't colored in in a long, long time. Um, there are more people than we anticipated being here. Uh, so some of you are going to have to learn to share. So in the theme of kindergarten... <laughs> You might have to do a collaborative coloring in project. So as we color, as we color, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what this coloring piece is about. Um, we're in a series uh, for Lent. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. Um, we use the church calendar not because we are bound to, but because we find it useful. Um, it's a good way of remembering the stories that are central to our faith, of sitting with them, of reflecting them. The 40 days of Lent are a time to remember Jesus' journey to the cross at the end of his ministry on earth. So we are looking back to the start of Jesus' ministry, looking at another 40 days when he was led to the wilderness. And we're sitting with this idea of finding our way home, finding our way to the home that is an authentic life, trying to find a way of living authentically, of learning what it is to rest in belovedness and trying to find a way, a life away from the false paths of constantly trying to earn our belovedness. So as we begin, um, it'd be great if someone could read for us, if, they can, if you can break yourself away from your colouring. It's not competitive colouring, just by the way. That's before you start. If you see dark Tamsin wandering around, someone warn us. I don't like colouring, actually. I feel bad. I didn't know that. Oh, look at... Oh, I know. So I, was, I like reading, so I'll read. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Um, oh, I read this last time. Sorry. Then Jesus was led by, up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was famished. The tempter came and said, If you are the only begotten of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, 
and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will tell the angels to take care of you. And with their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, scripture also says, do not put God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and displayed all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. At this, Jesus said to the devil, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the most high God alone. God alone will you serve. At that, the devil left, and angels came and looked, attended Jesus. I think this might need proofreading. (laughs) Is this from the Bible? Where did you get this from? (laughs) It's from our Bible. And in the true spirit of the CPLT, I'd just like to blame Rod for that last one. It's called accountability. What a strange set of temptations. <laughs> Does anyone find those really peculiar? <laughs> if you're trying to win someone over to the devil... Surely you could do better than that. The Satan, this figure that takes many forms throughout Scripture, the accuser, the tricker, the liar, the misleader, didn't try to stop Jesus being the Messiah or doing Messiah-like things, but tempted Jesus to do Messiah-like things in a particular way. These tests were not threats of violence or suffering, but fast tracks to the kind of Messiah that the people dearly wanted, but that Jesus didn't feel called to become. Turning stones into bread the temptation to be productive and relevant and popular and instantaneous. You get a car, you get a loaf of bread. Jumping off the temple, the temptation to be dramatic and spectacular and shiny, to be the star. The kingdoms of the world, the temptation to be powerful, to control, to use coercion rather than intimacy, invitation, vulnerability. The question for Jesus wasn't whether some would believe in him, but why they would believe in him. These tests would be repeated over and over again throughout his ministry. What kind of Messiah would Jesus be? A successful, relevant, shiny, powerful one? Or a faithful one? Would Jesus confront the powers of a violent empire and an excluding religious system by laying down his life or become the overlord of his own empire, his own religious system? 
What kind of God would Jesus' life point to? A spectacular, mighty, distant, violent one? Or a vulnerable, vulnerable, intimate, relational one? Just read this passage from Matthew. Near the end of Jesus' ministry, near the end of his life on earth. Then Jesus went with them. This is Jesus just approaching the cross just before he'd be arrested. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, Stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, This sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face, praying, My father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. He said to Peter, can't you even stick it out with me for an hour? It's profound vulnerability from someone who was supposed to save the world. This person who so desperately needed Friends. Who rather than stoically shutting the world out and marched on, invited people who would fail him into his most intimate space, into his most intimate agony, and said, I need you at this time. What kind of Messiah would Jesus be? Would Jesus be admired or known? What kind of people will we be? Will we be admired or known? This stuff mattered to Jesus, at least in part, because those followers would reproduce the kind of community that reflected the God he revealed. Modeling success is the fastest way to the top by hook or by crook, as long as the numbers stack up and the crown is shining, would produce a community obsessed with power and control who would do anything to grow their empire. Thank God that hasn't happened. Phew! That would have been terrible. But choosing the upside-down way would foster a community of faithfulness and trust who didn't sell out the vulnerable for greater outward success, who could turn down offers of power when it compromised their vision of beloved community. You become who you worship. 
And over the last few months, eerily, I've had an incredible number of conversations of people with people who have been devastated by either following or trying to become people who are the answer to everyone's prayers, who on the outside have it all together and on the inside are falling apart, but who cannot slow down enough to actually deal with the crap that's going on inside of them. The questions being posed here are not just about what Jesus did or what we do, but about why and how. False paths are not so much about whether our lives will result in outward status or hidden service, but about what drives us to do what we do. False paths are not so much about whether our lives result in outward status or hidden service, but about what drives us to do what we do. Who we are trying to please who we're willing to neglect and trample to maintain our hard-earned status or our hard-earned love, whether we can walk away when faithfulness demands it, and where we source our love, where we source our esteem, in intimacy, vulnerability, and trust, or in careful management of the crowd's perception. If our life's energy is spent ensuring that our star keeps rising and that the accolades, praise, and dependence of the wider world ceaselessly flow in our direction. We'll have a hard time coming to terms with both our true belovedness, regardless of our usefulness, and our limitations, frailties, and vulnerability. As Tamsin alluded to last week, the energy we pour into being shiny is a trap. We are teaching ourselves that without it, we may never receive what we truly need. We're also setting ourselves up for a brutal lesson in interdependence. In the moment when our life can finally not sustain the charade of competence. One day, all of us will fall apart in a way. that we will need people. Learning to need them in the moment your life falls apart is a terrible time to learn to need people and to learn how to accept love and help and care. In this passage, Jesus invites us to resist endless management of people's perception of us and instead learn to recognize what real love looks like both giving and receiving, how truly liberating it is. So as we color this morning, we're going to do a little reflection. As a communal act of confession and affirmation, we're just going to sit with these questions. But once... We're not going to make you answer them out loud. 
The questions are, what do I do to appear shiny? How am I not as shiny as I appear? What reminds me that I am beloved? When do I feel beloved? This is a dangerous community because it's a community full of people who are used to being helpers and competent. This is a safe community because so many people here have lived through trauma. It's our capacity to be vulnerable and be helped, that keeps this community safer than it otherwise would be. I might just play a little, you know, elevator background music while we sit and reflect and draw. If you want to talk to people at your table through this time, feel free to. If you'd rather just have it as time by yourself, that'd be lovely.
All right. We'll um, put Anita out of her misery. You can continue coloring for as long as you like. Um, but we do want to eat and drink together, so I'm going to pray. Loving God, despite our best efforts, you see us for who we really are. And despite our worst fears, you love us wholeheartedly. You call us away from the relentless pursuit of earning adoration and invite us to be still, to listen, knowing that real love cannot be earned. From here, we are free. We're free to learn what faithfulness looks like, free to see beyond the appearances of others, free to care and be cared for, free to give and be given to. You call us forward into life to give what we have to offer the world, but to never be fooled into thinking that we are indispensable. You call us to listen, to when to hold tightly and when to let go. You teach us the freedom of open-handed living. From love we came, and to love we will return. Help us remember this. As we remember Sophie this morning, from love she came. And to love, she will return. And in love, she will remain with us. Amen. Amen.